beautiful and palatial UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, and welcome to another Thursday night. And that means it's time for the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. And there are just some nights that are meant for a radio show. And tonight, eh, it probably isn't one of them, because here in the state of Ohio, it is a gorgeous evening to be outside. I should be outside on my deck, and I'm going to tell you something. Some night, I am going to go out on the deck and do the show from the outside. The neighbors may look at me like I'm nuts. They may stand around and protest, but what the heck, that's what I'm going to do. Boy, there's a lot going on in the world of sports here this evening, and we have got an action-packed show for you tonight. We have got two great guests. We're going to be talking with Dan Favale from Bleacher Report on the Cavaliers getting the number one pick in this year's NBA draft, and the coaching search. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But in the opening half hour, we're going to be talking to Paul Ski, who's a staff writer and analyst for HashtagSports.net, about what's going on in Buffalo, and basically NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell holding the city of Buffalo hostage. Well, let's take a look at what's going on in the headlines this week. Of course, as I said, the Cavaliers have got the first pick in the June 26th NBA draft. That's for the third time in the last four seasons. We'll discuss that in the second half hour. We're going to look at it more in depth here coming up in just a few seconds. A fight in the dugout this week in minor league baseball led to a player undergoing plastic surgery to replace his ear. Roger Goodell has made the top of the court documents again. Donald Sterling is fighting with the NBA. And we talk about the NBA and the NHL playoffs tonight in detail. All that plus more on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. But first... This is the beauty of live radio. And the unfortunate way we schedule things when it comes to live radio. We probably should have flip-flopped our guests here tonight, but unfortunately we weren't able to do that because of some scheduling conflicts between the two people that we're having on tonight, Paul Sky and Dan Favalli. But the opening story for tonight has got to be the NBA. We're going to talk about it right now, and then we're going to talk about it more in the second half hour. But the Cleveland Cavaliers, for the third time in four years, have gotten the first pick in the NBA draft. They had a 1.7% chance of getting the first pick, the first ping pong ball, in this year's NBA draft, and they did it. And in all honesty, when it was being held Tuesday night, I wasn't even watching it. I got a text and a phone call asking me if I was, And I was actually watching the Tigers-Indians game on Tuesday night. But immediately I flipped it over to see what was happening. And when the number three pick came up, and it was the Milwaukee Bucks, I got even more excited. And then when the number two pick and Dr. J was standing there next to David Griffin of the Cavaliers, and they announced that the 76ers had the number two pick, I about fell out of my chair. I mean, I could not believe that the Cavaliers, again, had the number one pick. And I'll tell you what, 
I'm convinced now more than ever that it cannot be fixed. There is no way the NBA would fix the actual draft in order for the Cavaliers to have three out of the last four, unless they're trying to get LeBron back in Cleveland. Who knows? Nonetheless, there are plenty of questions as to what's going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And like I said, we're going to talk about that more with Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report coming up in the second half hour of tonight's show. But who do you think the Cavaliers are going to pick? Now, the overriding idea is that there are only three players that are worthy of the number one pick. This draft, by far, is a lot better draft than last year's NBA draft. You could go with Andrew Wiggins out of Kansas, who, who really, I think a lot of people would concur, did not give forth a great effort in college basketball this year as a freshman for Kansas. He really didn't want to be there. He's from Canada. He wanted to go straight into the NBA, but of course the rules don't allow it. So he went to Kansas just to fulfill his one year in college basketball. Then there's Jabari Parker out of Duke. Now, a lot of people would say, you don't want to take a Duke player. You don't want to take a Kansas player. Because in actuality, who were the last two Duke and Kansas players to make it big in the NBA? Right now, you'd have to look at Kyrie Irving out of Duke. But even he is a question mark so far. And then there's Joel Embiid who is the center out of Kansas. Seven-footer, out of Africa, but he has back and knee problems. But, according to many, he is a stopper in the middle. If it was my pick, I'd take Parker out of Duke, but there's a lot of question marks that go along with him. A lot of people feel Wiggins is the, the pick. And did you see the picture of Wiggins that is all over the Internet? of him with his 44-inch vertical jump. He's a 6'8", shooting guard or small forward, and he would be perfect for the Cavaliers. But then again, so would Jabari Parker. But if they take Parker, it's obvious that last year's number one pick, Anthony Bennett, will be playing power forward this year. And then that opens up an entire new idea as to what the Cavaliers could do. Last year they offered Minnesota Deion Waiters, Tristan Thompson, and the number one pick to Minnesota for their number one pick in Kevin Love. Minnesota did not want to give up on Kevin Love. Now Love has come out and said that his he is not going to sign an extension with the Timberwolves. So, do the Cavaliers revisit that trade offer to Minnesota? They may be more willing to take it now. But will they give up their first-round pick? Will they just want the Cavaliers' first-round pick, Waiters and Thompson? And that could open the door to LeBron coming back to Cleveland. We'll never know until we investigate that. But what happens now is that this Cavalier coaching job suddenly becomes a prime place to be. You've got Kyrie Irving. You've got the number one draft pick in Wiggins, Parker, or Embed coming. You could have Kevin Love. You could have LeBron James. A lot of people feel LeBron James is coming back. Charles Barkley said the other night he should come back. There was a big article in Forbes today saying that if LeBron craves Jordan-esque stature and the $90 million a year that comes with it, he'll need to continue mining for rings, and this time the path leads back home. 
Because if you're LeBron, according to ESPN and Forbes today, if you had prime years left, where would you rather spend them now? With Irving and Wiggins or with a 32-year-old Wade nursing bulky knees and a cast of aging role players? That is a very good question. We're going to delve into that a little bit more later on when we bring in Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report to talk things over about the Cavaliers. Now there's another big story going on in Major League Baseball that we're going to get to right now. Then we'll get back to baseball later on in the second half hour. Texas Rangers first baseman Prince Fielder is seriously contemplating surgery to repair the herniated disc in his neck, according to reports out of Texas. And if he does decide to do that, that procedure is season-ending. Now, he missed today's game with the Detroit Tigers. That's Fielder's former team. Fielder received a nerve root injection last weekend, but according to reports, Fielder does not, if he does not remove the chunk of disc that is pinching a nerve and causing weakness in Fielder's left arm, then he will have to undergo surgery. That's the only way he's going to be able to fix it. He could either play through the weakness or have surgery, and no final decision has been made as of yet. Now, Fielder, as I said, was acquired from Detroit. It's his first year in Texas. He's hitting two forty-seven right now with only three homers in 42 games. And obviously that weakness in his arm is probably the contributing factor. Now, the Rangers owe Fielder approximately $130 million through the year 2020. And all the team, although the team is built to win now, they need to do what is best for Fielder in the long term, given that investment. Like I said, we're going to take a look more at Major League Baseball, including the ear-biting incident in the minor leagues coming up in the second half hour. Happy days are here again. The national media has merged in Berea, Ohio, to look at the Cleveland the Cleveland Browns and their off-season training program. This time, Johnny Manziel is there along with the rest of the veterans, and they get to get their first look at Johnny Manziel. Can you believe it? The national media is absolutely going bonkers right now over the fact that they're able to see Johnny football with the Cleveland Browns. But what's the story? Brian Hoyer, coming back from ACL surgery, worked with the first team yesterday and today at the Cleveland Browns offseason practice, and Johnny Manziel was third, which has the local media here just laughing up in arms. They can't believe Johnny Manziel is actually behind Thigpen, in the depth chart. The Browns followed through on the plan to make Manziel earn the spot, and on some plays during the workout, the rookie showed why. He really didn't look that good, folks. Manziel struggled at times with throws, and Coach Mike Pettin, after practice, explained why. I just think it's just like any other rookie that, it, that it's uh, he's just inconsistent. I think a lot of it's the, the mental part of it. Instead of he's more worrying about getting the formation right making sure the motion's correct, and he's got the cadence, and then he's got to worry about where guys are. As opposed, I mean, kind of 
being good mechanically takes a back seat to learning the system first, and I think you, you see that over the maturation process. Once all that stuff becomes second nature, so he'll, be, he'll be a lot more comfortable. And I think he flashed some things today that that um, you know that, that that made him kind of kind of who he is, the ability to make plays on his feet. Well, he really doesn't have a pass rush that he's going up against. The receivers aren't running exact routes right now. This is just a way for the team to get used to Petten and Petten to get used to the team until their second off-season training camp comes up and then the real training camp getting ready for the season happens in July. Cleveland Browns reporter Pat McManaman says Manziel has been quiet and unassuming during the week he's been in Cleveland, and that's really a smart move for the rookie. I think when you come in as a rookie, especially one who's touted like that, the last thing you want to be is enabled. The last thing you want to do is walk in and expect everything handed to you. He very clearly said right away he doesn't want that. He was humbled to be passed over 21 times. I think that's a wise thing. I think that'll be a good thing with this group on the Browns. And I think the more he acts like that and earns his keep, the better off he'll be. It will be a competition. Right now, Brian Hoyer was first, Tyler Thigpen second, and Johnny Manziel was third. Browns general manager Ray Farmer said yesterday that Hoyer currently is the better quarterback by a substantial margin. Josh Gordon took part in the entire practice as he awaits word on the suspension he faces for failing a drug test in the offseason. Allegedly, he had smoked marijuana. Now, again, I've got to go back to the hypocrisy that Roger Goodell is showing here because two states and several more are going to follow suit here very soon legalize the use of marijuana, Washington and Colorado. So what does the NFL do if something is legal in certain states but illegal in others? You can't really come right out and say that if something is legal, it is illegal in the the NFL. But Roger Goodell, again, in the middle of another lawsuit, and let's tell you what else is happening in the NFL. The Baltimore Ravens have announced that running back Ray Rice and his wife, Janae Palmer, Hold a press conference on Friday, and this is the first time that Palmer is actually, or that Rice is actually going to speak publicly to the media since he faced felony assault charges stemming from a February incident involving Palmer at an Atlantic City casino. Just another problem that Roger Goodell has. And another problem that he has is what's going on in Buffalo. Since Ralph Wilson passed away, a couple of months ago, the ownership of the Buffalo Bills has been up in the air. And that brings us to our first guest this evening. Let's welcome into our ultimate sports talk microphones, Paul Ski, the staff writer and analyst at HashtagSports.net. And he's based out of Buffalo, New York, and he can tell us what's happening there. Paul, thanks for joining us tonight. How you doing? I'm doing uh, I'm doing pretty well. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the time tonight. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. Buffalo's in a, a wee bit of a kind of precarious situation. Uh, as soon as Ralph Wilson died, uh, which was of course unfortunate, but something that a lot of people have been preparing for for quite some time. All of a sudden, talks of a new stadium came about. Roger Goodell's you know, talking about the Bills need a new stadium, so they formed a 21-person political stadium committee which will probably accomplish next to nothing. Uh, and it's just been crazy. It's been it's been absolutely crazy around here. Well, I can tell you that when the Browns left town, there were two cities that stuck up for the city of Cleveland, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. So the Cleveland fans are watching this situation 
with earnest to find out what's going to happen to the Bills. They'd hate to see the Bills have to leave Buffalo. But Roger Goodell has pretty much thrown down the gauntlet, hasn't he, Paul? Yeah, um, it, it's it's pretty much not. It's been a very subtle demand uh, with the way that it's all been done. And uh, you know, Ralph Wilson Stadium is something that was constructed in, in the early '70s. It is, uh, you know, it's not Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego, but it is it is antiquated at this point from what we know of new NFL stadiums to be. And it's something that there's been a lot of pressure on the local market in order to produce. And unfortunately, with no owner. You're uh, kind of looking to the city and and uh, and trying to get that all arranged. And, and of course, anybody who knows anything about politics knows that this this stuff takes uh, a significant amount of time to get done. And yeah, and it rears yeah, it really rears the ugly head, doesn't it, Paul? Oh, big time it does. And in all likelihood, a new owner will be in place long before anything with the new stadium comes anywhere close to being accomplished. Well, the Toronto group that also involved John Bon Jovi, I read yesterday, has pretty much backed out of uh, their offer to buy the Bills. What happened there? Uh, again, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, a vetting process. Uh, there's law firms involved. There's there's mortgage brokers involved, or Morgan Stanley involved, I should say. So there's a a pretty ridiculous uh, <laughs> approval process. That, that's happening right now in Buffalo. And, and yeah, you just don't know who's going to come from where. And, and even at this point, we don't know who potential owners are uh, because everything is, is pretty much being filtered through the NFL, and, uh, and they're keeping a pretty tight lid on everything. Uh, pretty much every possible owner is purely speculation at this point. Well, for heaven's sakes, don't let Roger Goodell recommend somebody. He recommended Jimmy Haslam, and look at the trouble he's in. Yeah, whoops. very much so now Buffalo has played a home game a year in Toronto was that just by accident or was this something that the NFL really pushed Ralph Wilson into looking forward to this possibility down the road no I think this was something to kind of gauge interest a little bit they they talked about Toronto being uh, you know a uh, a market for the Bills for quite some time. Ultimately, I, I don't really know if that's necessarily true, but uh, just like when new stadiums come about, all these crazy reports surface that, that may not be completely factual. Um, so they talk about Toronto being a market for the Bills. Uh, there are there are a bevy of Toronto and Canadian-based fans, uh, but a lot of them really prefer the Bills to be in Buffalo. So it doesn't seem like it's something where they want the Bills necessarily to relocate in all likelihood. Uh, I think the Bills saw an opportunity to make a lot of money for not for really not a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Paul Ski, our guest here tonight from HashtagSports.com. Paul, what's your gut feeling? Will the Bills stay in Buffalo, and will they get a new stadium? Um, I think the Bills ultimately will end up with a new stadium at some point. Um, do I think the Bills are going to relocate? I, I have to assume not at this point because I, I really, through the vetting process, uh, and of course we don't know the terms of the, uh, you know, the last will and testament to Ralph as far as what he expects the team to do. Uh, you, you have to speak to that. So I, I don't think the Bills end up relocating. I do think at some point they end up with a new stadium. When exactly that will be, probably years down the line. 
but we do expect to see some movement in ownership. Uh, they say the earliest it could even possibly be completed is October, uh, and I think that's probably optimistic at this point. Any names that you're hearing that could be involved in the ownership change? Yeah, they, I mean, your typical names that are involved in Buffalo ownership... And I think we just lost Paul. Paul, are you there? Well, that's what happens when you're on live radio, folks. You <laughs> Somehow on his cell phone, we lost Paul. But we're, we hope to get him back here in just a second. But like I said, we were looking for some names that could be involved in, in buying the uh, Buffalo Bills and keeping them in the city of Buffalo and hopefully getting a stadium. I know one name that I had heard prior to his illness was Jim Kelly. And, of course, Jim Kelly right now is going through some health problems of his own suffering from cancer in the jaw, which had come back. So hopefully Jim Kelly will be able to uh, get back into the swing of things and maybe be one of them. Another thing I wanted to talk to Paul Ski about was Sammy Watkins and the trade that the Browns and the Bills underwent on the very night of the draft when the Browns were going to take Sammy Watkins. And then Buffalo came in and ended up taking the new uh, wide receiver of the of uh, taking the draft pick of the Buffalo Bills, and that ended up being Sammy Watkins. So Sammy Watkins is now the new wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, and the Browns are still looking for a wide receiver. But evidently we're not going to be able to get Paul back on the line here tonight, so our thanks to him, and we're going to try to have him on in the next couple of weeks again and talk to him more about Sammy Watkins. But uh, our apologies, but uh, evidently Paul is having some problems with his cell service and is, is out of the area. So that, our thanks to Paul Ski, who is from HashtagSports.com. So be sure you check into that. Well, again, we've been talking mainly about Washington, about the controversies that are going on with Roger Goodell. We've talked about uh, what is going on with Jimmy Haslam. We've talked about the Baltimore Ravens and Ray Rice and Josh Gordon. Well, Washington Redskins safety Ryan Clark has had enough of the NFL's alleged hypocrisy out of the commissioner's office, and he made that clear on Wednesday afternoon, blasting Commissioner Roger Goodell for not suspending Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay following his arrest on charges of driving under the influence. Ursay was arrested March 16th for allegedly operating a vehicle while intoxicated. He had $29,000 in cash and bottles of prescription drugs in his vehicle at the time. The owner faces four felony counts of possessions of a controlled substance. Now, Ursay did appear at the NFL's owners' meeting in Atlanta on Monday, but declined to speak about the arrest or his stay at a rehab facility. Clark then criticized Commissioner Roger Goodell on Wednesday, saying the fact that he's yet to punish Ursay shows the hypocrisy of the NFL. So here we have Jim Ursay, uh, a guy, an owner, who has history with yep. substance abuse, yep. who, who's found in the car with over $29,000 in cash, prescription drugs that weren't in his name, mm -hmm. 
pulled over for driving under the influence and now we're saying we need more information what more information do we need than oh these aren't your prescription pills you're obviously under the influence you have twenty nine thousand dollars in cash there would be no questions asked if this was a player and so but roger goodell we have to remember works for the owners the 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 plus 40 million that he got is from the owners it was part of a bonus well it was part of a bonus 40 million dollars is a bonus as just being commissioner of the nfl i mean that ranks right up there with what's going on with other ceos and companies asked about the situation this week goodell of course fell back on the old saying there's been no charges so the answer is until we have more information or more facts we will let it play out. Now, that explanation really irked Clark, who cited the case of former Pittsburgh Steelers teammate Ben Roethlisberger as an example of Goodell acting swiftly on a player who hadn't been charged with a crime as of yet. I was on a team with a player who was never actually charged. There were accusations and allegations, was never actually charged nor arrested, who was suspended for the first four games of a season, initially a five game suspension that was that was yeah, reduced yeah. to to four games. The quarterback was accused of sexually assaulting a woman in a Georgia nightclub, but he was never charged. As a matter of fact, no one he was never charged and the woman tried to even she recanted. Still, Goodell suspended him six games, which was later reduced to four, for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Well that would match up to what Ursay did, personal conduct policy. But yet, as Clark says, and I think Clark's got a great point, and I've got to admire Ryan Clark for stepping out onto a ledge like this, being an active player and criticizing the commissioner. There are a lot of players that are criticizing the commissioner, especially, as Clark said in the one clip, for being judge, jury, and executioner. Clark's correct, but... The Players Union bears some responsibility here because in the last agreement that they made, they allowed Goodell that power to be judge, jury, and executioner. Goodell works for the owners, no doubt about it. Doesn't work for the players. He works for the owners. But here you've got Josh Gordon, who's probably going to be suspended because he smoked pot. And then you've got Ray Rice. Nothing has been done on him, even though he had, he beat his girlfriend, unconscious. They have tapes of it. But because Ray Rice is going to basically what is a driver's evaluation course, then that is okay as far as that is concerned. So he's better off beating his girlfriend if you're Josh Gordon than you are if you did you smoked pot. And then again, you've got to look at the situation with Goodell, how many lawsuits against the NFL is too many? There's now a group of retired players suing the NFL. They filed this suit on Tuesday, claiming the league gave them powerful painkillers and anti-inflammatories to keep them on the field, never warning them about the long-term dangers to their health. And could this be the suit that finally brings down Goodell and the NFL? Because there are some horror stories being told by the eight plaintiffs, three of whom were Super Bowl champions with the 1985 Chicago Bears. Hall of Fame defensive end Richard Dent, Jim McMahon, and Keith Van Horn. And there are enough similarities 
to claims made in the concussion lawsuit to warrant a closer look. The eight players, attorneys have asked for class action status, saying more than 500 former players are involved. Now, paint a picture of a league that recklessly and negligently created and maintained a culture of drug misuse, substituting players' health for profit. Just look at the movie North Dallas 40, which was loosely based upon a season of the Dallas Cowboys back in the late 60s, early 70s. Team doctors and traders were handing out drugs like it was Halloween candy, according to attorney Steve Silverman, to mask these injuries to get these guys out on the field to their detriment. The list of narcotics, anti-inflammatory drugs, and local anesthetics reads like a pharmacy. Toradol, Percocet, Vicodin, Ambien, Prendazone, Lidocaine, and the eight players estimate they were given hundreds, if not thousands, of injections and pills over the years. Not once, according to this lawsuit, were they warned about the potential dangers. This suit comes as the NFL is still trying to persuade a federal judge to accept a $765 million settlement with another group of former players who claimed the league hid or ignored the devastating effects of concussions and other head traumas. It's just amazing. And those lawsuits, on top of now, the United States Senate is throwing some serious muscle behind the attempt to convince the Washington Redskins to change their name. The New York Times is reporting that 50 senators have signed a letter to the NFL asking the league to do so. The NFL can no longer ignore this and perpetuate the use of this name as anything but what it is, a racial slur, said the letter. We urge you and the NFL to send the same clear message the NBA did, that racism and bigotry have no place in professional sports. Now, this letter was circulated by Washington Democrat Maria Cantwell and was endorsed by Reed. The letter was not circulated among the Republicans. The letter, the New York Times says, referred to the NBA's quick action against the Clippers. Owner Donald Sterling said after he was caught on audio tape using racial slurs and soon after was basically kicked out of the league. All along, Redskins owner Daniel Snyder has declared that he won't change the name. And you know what I think of this? It's nice to know that the U.S. Senate has time to devote to some issues and not to others. Well, the city of Minneapolis has managed to pull off a coup. They are going to get Super Bowl 52. And it was basically a voting upset at the league owners meeting over New Orleans, which lost the bid for the game for the first time in 11 tries. New Orleans host committee chairman Jay Cicero said he believed the deciding factor was the $1 billion state-of-the-art stadium that the Minnesota Vikings are scheduled to move into by the time the 2016 season starts. The futuristic multi-purpose venue will have a capacity of 65,400 regularly scheduled seats, but will expand to 72,000 seats for the 2018 Super Bowl. The Vikings presentation emphasized the $498 million of public investment into the new stadium, which just tells you one other thing. If you build a new stadium, the NFL will come. That's a look at the NFL for this evening. Again, our thanks to Paul Ski. We're going to have him on in just a couple of weeks to continue our discussion. But, of course, uh, cell phone problems kept us from 
having him on any further. We hope to have Dan Favale coming up here very soon from Bleacher Report talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us tonight on Ultimate Sports Talk. Let's move into the NBA again. We talked about it a little bit earlier where the Cleveland Cavaliers are still looking for a head coach. And this just came across from Bleacher Report also that the Cavaliers are interested in speaking with Florida head coach, the the Florida head coach, about their head coaching position. And that should be a very interesting conversation because the Cavaliers now are looking at John Calipari and they're looking at possibly even Mike Krzyzewski as being their new basketball coach. But now they want to throw another name into the mix, Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan took the Florida Gators to the Final Four. He's won two national championships with the Gators over the last 10 years. And he almost took the Orlando job about five years ago. But now as you look at it, Billy Donovan may be interested in getting back into the NBA. And as I said earlier, a lot of these coaches are going to look at this job for the Cavaliers as a very intriguing position, not only with the number one draft pick, but also a lot of people are thinking, and it's picking up momentum, that LeBron is going to be coming back to the Cavaliers. Why? Because he's carrying the Miami Heat right now in the Indiana series. The NBA Eastern Conference Finals are happening. Last night, the Miami Heat beat the Indiana Pacers. And Game 3 will be Saturday night. That series is tied at one game apiece. And LeBron James is really carrying the Heat. Now, certainly Dwayne Wade is playing like the Dwayne Wade of old. But they're getting nothing out of anybody else. And that includes the third member of the Big 3, Chris Bosh. The NBA Western Conference Finals are also going on. And San Antonio last night hammered Oklahoma City 112-77. to That puts the Spurs up in the Western Conference two games to none, and they have won those first two games by a combined 52 points over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Westbrook and Durant, I'll tell you what, I don't think that they're going to be able to coexist any longer after this series and hope to win a title. But let's look now at what's going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that gives us an opportunity to talk about them with the Bleacher Report's lead reporter on the Cavaliers, Dan Favalli. Dan, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, am I? Yes, you are. Great. (laughs) Dan, thanks for joining us here tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. How are you this evening? I am great. How are you doing? Doing just great. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Got to talk to you about, first of all, what was your thoughts on Tuesday night when you saw that the Cavaliers had the number one pick? Was it like everybody else? You just couldn't believe it? I was utterly shocked. There's no other way to describe it. Just that, oh, not again feeling was incredible. (laughs) I said at the top of the show, Dan, I think this proves that the NBA does not fix the draft lottery because why in the world would they fix it for the Cavaliers to get it three out of the last four years? No, they wouldn't. It would be. It's just it's ludicrous that people think that it's rigged anyway. I think in a way it was almost good that the Lakers or neither the Lakers nor Celtics made it into the top three or won the number one overall pick. You would have had 
conspiracy theorists coming out of the woodwork, and you still have people talking about, oh, they keep giving the Cavs all these picks to get LeBron, but, I mean, it's living proof anyway that no matter how many first-round picks you get, you're not going to be good, and the Cavs are just proof of that. Absolutely. Okay. The consensus theory is that the Cavaliers, if they keep the pick, it will either be Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embed, or Jabari Parker. If you are picking for the Cavaliers, what's your pick? For me, it has to be Wiggins. They've needed someone like him since LeBron left. He's almost like LeBron's protege in a sense. They declared him the second coming of LeBron before he started playing in college, and that chatter's kind of died down, but... The Cavs need that athleticism in transition next to Kyrie Irving, another guy who can handle the ball, create his own shots. And Deion Waiters really isn't that athletic ball handler who can thrive in transition that they need. Joel Embiid is a definite possibility, though, because you look, the Cavs want LeBron James back, and why are you going to draft Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker if you're going to try and make a play for him this summer or next, and they do have a need down low? So if their plan is to go after LeBron and they feel really good about their chances of landing LeBron, I would expect them to draft big with Joel Embiid. If they draft Wiggins, is he capable of playing the shooting guard spot and they could bring Waiters if they keep him off the bench? Um, I don't think Wiggins is. I think he's a little bit big for the shooting guard spot in my mind, but he's even talked about playing the two guards, so that's something to look at. And he is versatile. It's almost like you can say that LeBron can play whatever position he wants. Wiggins, as long as he's aggressive, can he can definitely defend any of the perimeter positions. So I guess there's the opportunity for him to play at shooting guard. I just don't know if that will help him hone his skills to the best of his ability. The thing that scares me about Embiid, Dan, is his knees and back. I mean, and from what I understand, the Cavs are checking him out feverishly to see if that's okay, but... You know, we drafted a center a while ago in Zadrunas Ogowskis that had bad feet, and we had to wait three years for him to actually be a proven player on the floor. Are they willing to wait a year or two for Embiid to not only get over his physical incapabilities, but also get used to the NBA grind? I don't think they're willing to wait for anybody. I think if it's determined that Embiid needs a few years before he could be used to the NBA grind, that they won't draft him. This is a team with an impatient owner that wants to win now. So if there is a red flag with Embiid, and I know he's had back issues since high school, I don't think they'll draft him if they're that worried about having an immediate impact. I mean, you look at Embiid, and I was reading the other day, someone or a scout said that his basement is Serge Ibaka and his ceiling is Hakeem Olajuwon, which is great, but this isn't a center's league in the NBA anymore. If they even have the slightest inkling that he may take time or that his health isn't 100%, you have to go somewhere else with this pick. Dan, tell me, there's also media in the Cleveland area that are pushing for the Cavs to trade this pick and even go out and pick up Kevin Love. Is that even a possibility? If the Cavs were to build a package around the number one pick, it would definitely be a possibility because the Timberwolves have to face facts. But Kevin Love isn't going to resign in Cleveland. It would probably take LeBron coming to Cleveland for him to stay, and they can't promise him that. And you can't trade the number one pick when the guy you're getting in return can leave this summer. And even if he says, I agree to play through into summer 2016 or something, excuse me, summer, it's just not, it's just not worth it. He's not going to offer to resign right away to sign an extension. He's not going to guarantee his return. So I don't see how you give up a potential star in Wiggins, Parker, or again, Embiid 
for a guy that could wind up being a one or maybe two year rental. Okay, there are three major stories going on with the Cavs. We've already hit one of them, which is the number one pick. The second one is LeBron James. ESPN's pushing it. Charles Barkley's pushing it. Forbes magazine even came out today and said that if LeBron wants to be a $90 million a year player like Michael Jordan was at the end of his career, does he want to go to Cleveland with Waiters and possibly Wiggins, or does he want to stay in Miami with a 32-year-old achy need Dwayne Wade? The, to them, the choice is clear. He goes to Cleveland. What's your gut feeling? Is he coming to Cleveland? Is he even going to look at going into a free agent this summer? I think it's the latter. I don't think he'll go to free agency this summer. I think he'll opt in and sort of prolong free agency until next summer, or maybe he'll finish out his contract and hit the market in 2016. He'll have more options available to him next summer. That's a simple fact. He'll have other teams like the Knicks could have cap space. The Lakers should still have cap space. They'll have even more cap space, so they'll be more attractive. The Bulls could have more cap space. The Heat will have a better idea of how they can retool their roster around the big three or whoever's left of the big three. And then LeBron can monitor the Cavs from afar. He could see how Wiggins and Waiters and Irving are doing or Embiid's doing, whoever they wind up drafting. He could see what they do. I don't think just because they have the number one pick, they become a legitimate option for him now. He's watched them struggle for almost four years without him, and they haven't done anything really to instill confidence in him to come back. So even if they wind up keeping a pick and drafting someone he likes, you got to give it at least a year to look at and see if they're worth coming back for. Do you think it's more likely that LeBron would opt out if they lose this year, don't win the title, than it would be that if he wins the title this year? Yeah, I, I, I don't. again, I don't think either way he'll do it, but I think you have to say if they lose, he might you know, look introspectively and be like, wow, Wade's getting old, his knees... Does Chris Bosh even want to play third fill anymore? And I think those questions will crop up more. But you do have to look at it. If they lose, they still have the opportunity to win three championships in five years next year, and that's still a dynasty. You know, I keep going back to my sources in Akron telling me, Dan, that LeBron's wife wants the kids to go to Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary. And I don't just can't see LeBron putting a million dollars into renovating the gym at St. V and not have his kids uh, be able to reap the rewards of what he has put there. So I think there's a lot of a lot of legs to this rumor that he would like to come back if the situation is right. Again, I can't. You can't fault logic like that. He has ties to Cleveland. He has ties to the state of Ohio in general. So that that is a, a storyline you do have to monitor. But it's just like you said. He needs to see that it's a good situation, and that can't be determined this summer, most certainly. You need at least a year or another year. And then after he's had time to look at it, see what they're doing, see how the rookies are faring, see what Irving does because he's still a question mark, then he can make that decision for real. I don't think the time, if he legitimately wants to come back to Cleveland, I don't think the time for him to do it is this summer. That Everything's too uncertain. You have to give it at least a year, in my opinion. Okay, let's say everything is perfect and the timing is right for LeBron to come back. Can he still coexist with Dan Gilbert? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I don't think that'll be a big deal at all. I mean, Dan Gilbert went off after he left, but who didn't? The fans went off after he left. And that stuff is so far in the past. Look at how many of them want him back now. No, Almost no one would have said that four years ago, would they have? I don't think so. So that's something that they could squash out in the boardroom. How much time do they really spend together anyway? 
So that's something they could easily look past. And this will be, if LeBron returns, it'll be more about coming home and bringing a championship to the city of Cleveland than it will be about Dan Gilbert. Our guest here this evening on Ultimate Sports Talk Show is Dan Favalli, lead reporter for the Cleveland Cavaliers for Bleacher Report. Just love the Bleacher Report reporters, Dan. When they come on, boy, they've got a load of information. Now, the third story for the Cavs is the coach. Who do you see as being the new coach of the Cavaliers? Who's on the short list? Well, I just saw that they reached out to Billy Donovan of Florida. That's a long shot, but you can kind of see how confident they are in their coaching search now that they have this number one pick, that their options expand. You don't have to just look at guys like Alvin Gentry or even first-timers that don't have a lot of experience. I think they'll focus heavily on bigger names. I think maybe you see them talk to George Carl, who wants a lot of organizational control. I think he'd be a good fit for this franchise in general. Lionel Holland seems like he might be desperate for a job, so that's another name to keep an eye on. And I think, every again, everything changed with this number one pick. Names that you couldn't see coming. Maybe they take a look at Jeff Van Gundy. Maybe they try and get Fred Hoiberg out of Iowa State. It's just the options are abound right now. And my pick right now, if I you know had to pick one name, would still be George Carl. But, again, this number one pick changes everything. I feel they could essentially have their pick of the litter of what's out there. Let me ask you a question. My pick for the job is Mark Price. Why is he not even being considered? Well, I think at this point, and it's it's in a situation where fans in New York have to get used to this too, is they want to see big names. You want to see that next big move, and I don't think Mark Price would be that big of a move. Maybe it's a smart move from a schematic standpoint or a strategical standpoint, but fans want to see a splash, especially in Cleveland where they haven't made the playoffs in four years. They want to see an established guy come in and be a symbol of hope for this team that they haven't had in almost a half decade. So that's part of it. The media manufactured a lot of this and drums it up. And the Cavs might want to save face and go after these big names, too. So that's absolutely something to consider as well. See, I think Kyrie Irving is the same type of ball player that Mark Price was when Mark played. And I think, you know, you're talking about Lionel Hollins and Jeff Van Gundy. George Carl, yeah, would bring some excitement. But I think you bring Mark Price into this organization. And I, I really believe, Dan that it would cause some excitement to ripple through the Cavalier fans and probably some of the Cavalier media, and the players would even have to treat him with respect because all they got to do is look up in the rafters and see his number up there. And he could teach Kyrie how to run that pick-and-roll offense. Uh, I agree with you on those points. I mean, it's you do have to wonder how players view something like that, though. It's tough to say if they're going to look up and that respect is just going to be in the in the rafters. You would hope, but they're a young team. They might be better off being guided by someone who's been here and done this and won this before. But you're absolutely right that he's going to know how to run an offense with Irving in it, so that's something definitely interesting to consider. You have to look at a guy also who hasn't generated much buzz for the job. I've heard him mention a couple of times, but Mark Jackson might be good for this team because he really rallies his players, and I think that's what Cleveland needs most. We talk. We can talk about this from an X's and O's standpoint, from a reputation standpoint, but this team was had a sense of dysfunction to them last year. You really want that sense of camaraderie. And the Warriors, through all the the garbage they were wading through last year, they had that. So Mark Jackson would be an interesting choice for this job if he's willing to relocate because he can get that connection with players, especially point guards like we're talking about now. So that's another name I'd keep an eye on moving forward. Were you surprised that Gilbert did pull the trigger on Mike Brown? 
No, not at all. It, I got the sense that he didn't even want Mike Brown back in the first place. It was Chris Grant that really pushed for him. I can't believe they gave him a five-year deal and they fired him with four years left on it. But, again, that wasn't shocking. I don't think he wanted him in there at all. That was kind of Grant's pet project, just like some of these draft picks that have plummeted. So that that wasn't a surprise to me at all. I mean, it's hard to believe Mike Brown's going to be paid for the next five years, next two from two teams, for not coaching. Yeah, I was kind of hoping he'd get another job before next season so maybe he'd get fired and be paid by three teams at the same time. <laughs> hey, uh, real quick, Dan, uh, final question. What do you think the chances are of the Cavaliers keeping Steve Hawes? I'm not really concerned about Luell Dank, but Steve Hawes I would love to have stay with this team. I mean, they're going to let the market dictate his value, and again, everything's going to hinge on what LeBron decides to do. But I think he comes back. I think that might be a great situation for him. He's never really gotten to play with a point guard like Kyrie who can do the driving kick, and he's a floor-spacing big that they haven't had in a really long time. So I would be shocked if they let him get loose again. If someone offers him a crazy contract, he could leave. But he was a really good fit for them while he was there. And I would be absolutely shocked if he left, and or if they let him get away for that matter. Okay, so George Carl's the coach. In, in your mind, or Mark Jackson, let's just say either or. Kyrie stays, Steve Hawes stays, they draft Wiggins. Is this team a playoff team next year? I'm going to say yes. I think that would give them enough pieces, maybe some stability if you can bring in the right coach. And that number one draft pick, like they literally cannot get it wrong unless they, unless they pick, you know, they go off the radar and pick someone who wasn't projected in the top three. There are just so many guys that are going to make an impact. And that's going to go a long way because Irving, I know people like to talk about Waiters' potential, but Irving needs a sidekick. And I think this is the year that he can finally get it, be it in free agency or coming out of the draft with one of Parker, Wiggins, or Embiid. Okay, so final question. I've got to ask you this. Is the number one pick going to be made by the Cavaliers before they name a coach, or will they name a coach first? I'm going to say they name a coach first. That would okay. be a smarter play for them. that one. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to do that. Hey, I'll tell you what. Whenever I have somebody from Bleacher Report on, they come with, they come in, and I want to keep them on for another half hour because they give me so much information. And, Dan, you have not failed to deliver, believe me. A lot of great information there. Thanks a lot. We'll have you on in the near future, okay? No problem. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks a lot. Dan Favalli from... Bleacher Report. And like I said, those guys, when you have them on, boy, they always give us a ton of great information. And right there, he thinks it will be George Carl, the new head coach, or Mark Jackson, formerly of Golden State. Wiggins will be the number one draft pick, and LeBron stays in Miami for one more season. Well, you know, the Cavaliers over the years, they've had number one picks. Austin Carr, Brad Doherty. Of course, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and Anthony Bennett. Well, Anthony Bennett got some bad news today. The NBA announced this year's all-rookie team, and this season was not an awesome one for first-year players, believe me. Michael Carter-Williams won the Rookie of the Year award from Philadelphia, despite only shooting 40% on a team that only won 19 games. And unsurprisingly, he headlined the first team. So here's the first team. Here's the all-rookie team. Michael Carter-Williams, Victor Oladipo from Orlando, Trey Burke of Utah, Mason Plumley of Brooklyn, who really came on for Brooklyn. 
and Tim Hardaway Jr. of the New York Knicks. Now, the second team included Kelly Olnick of Boston, Giannis, forget trying to, Anton Tokuwampo. Try saying that one quick three times, and if you're sober, of the Milwaukee Bucks, Georgie Ding of Minnesota, Cody Zeller of Charlotte, and Stephen Adams of the Oklahoma City. And where was Anthony Bennett? He received one second team vote. Probably had to be somebody from either Toronto, which is where he's from, or Cleveland, which is where he plays. Nonetheless, tell you what, Anthony Bennett better get on his bicycle, get his weight down, improve his game, and get back to the Cavaliers before next season. The Los Angeles Clippers owner, Donald Sterling, has until May 27th to respond to the NBA, which on Monday initiated a charge seeking to terminate all ownership rights in the franchise, the NBA announced. Sterling, who owns the team with his wife, Shelley, through a family trust, will also be allowed to make a presentation at a special Board of Governors meeting scheduled for June 3rd. Now, the key word there is trust. It's very hard to break a trust. And the trust actually owns the team, not Sterling. Sterling can actually be the guardian of the trust, but it's the trust that owns the team. And this could be the major problem for the NBA in this case. They could force Sterling out, but the trust will still own the team, and they cannot force Sterling out as guardian of that trust. So on Monday, this could be the major problem for the NBA. Now, the NBA released a summary of the charges, and they're trying to say that in the course of the investigation into Sterling's conduct, it was discovered that relevant evidence was destroyed, falsified, and misleading evidence was provided to the NBA's investigator, and the Clippers issued a false and misleading press statement regarding this matter. Gee, like that never happens in the NBA with anything. Everybody issues false press statements in the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NHL. The 30-page NBA document detailing the charges against Sterling accuses the longtime owner of trying to persuade V. Stiviano to tell a league investigator she altered a recording and it wasn't Sterling making racist remarks on the audio tape. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban has been outspoken about the Donald Sterling controversy from the get-go. On Wednesday, the Mavericks owner spoke at the GroCo conference in Nashville and addressed many topics, but the issue of Sterling and racism were broached. And Cuban was very candid. We're a lot more vigilant in what we, and we're a lot less tolerant of different views. And it's not necessarily easy for everybody to adapt or adapt or evolve. I mean, we're all prejudiced in one way or the other. If, if I see a black kid in a hoodie and it's late at night, I'm walking to the other side of the street. And if on that side of the street there's a guy that has tattoos all over his face, white guy, bald head, tattoos everywhere, I'm walking back to the other side of the street. And the list goes on of, of stereotypes that we all live up to and, and are fearful of. 
And so in my businesses, try not to be hypocritical. You know, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I live in a glass house and it's not appropriate for me to throw stones. And so when I run into bigotry in organizations I control, I try to, to find solutions. Very poignant remarks by Mark Cuban. And can you actually look yourself in the mirror and say that he's wrong? I can't. I think he's absolutely on the money. He did call Sterling's comments abhorrent. However, he also said that forcing Sterling to sell the Clippers would be a very slippery slope, which is exactly what I think. Cuban pledged his full support of Silver's ruling after the fact, but he's been guarded on his comments on the subject since then until appearing at this convention yesterday when he reportedly said he hates that he might have to be hypocritical with his vote on the matter of Sterling. Cuban says he knows how he'll vote on the Sterling issue June 3rd, but he isn't ready to comment on it. I guess the question here is, can the owners not vote to approve the sale? They need three quarters of the 29 owners. If they vote no to force him to sell, they're going to face a player revolt. The safest play here for the owners is for them to vote yes to force Sterling to sell. That means Sterling would then issue a lawsuit against the NBA and tie this thing up in the courts for years. So that would let the owners realistically off the hook. They could always come back and say, hey, if the courts say no, Sterling doesn't have to sell, they can go to the players and say, we tried. We did all we could do. But if they vote no, the players could revolt against the owners. So the, fourth, the, the safest thing here for the owners is to vote yes, make him sell, and then let the courts decide if they do have that kind of authority. That's what Silver did. He did everything in his power correctly, and he did it swiftly, and now he's going to continue to try to do that, but his fallback is always the courts. The courts will eventually decide this, not the NBA owners or Adam Silver. Well, the NHL season is grinding to a close, and the NHL Eastern Conference Finals have the New York Rangers playing the Montreal Canadiens. That Game 3 will be tonight in just a few minutes. The Rangers are up 2-0, winning both games at home. Now they go to Montreal. And on the western side, the Chicago Blackhawks and Los Angeles Kings are playing Game 3 Saturday night at 8 p.m. That series is tied at one game apiece. And finally, unsurprisingly, the Los Angeles Dodgers have released catcher Miguel Olivo from their AAA affiliate, the team announced. He literally bit off teammates, a, a teammate's ear during a fight earlier this week. Olivo punched and then bit teammate Alex Guerrero, who's a $28 million bonus baby for the Dodgers. So obviously, Guerrero was going to get the benefit of the doubt this time, but He's also out for about five weeks because after they collected the year off the floor, they had to take him to the hospital, and Guerrero had to get his ears sewn back on. Our final story tonight on Sunday is the open wheel greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. And as it does every year, IndyCar's most prestigious race is sure to bring plenty of excitement. We've already seen some great qualifying times, most notably Ed Carpenter's average speed of 231 miles per hour, which allowed him to earn the pole for the second straight year. 
A strong field lies in wait as IndyCar's top drivers prepare for the ultimate showdown. The race is three days away. It'll be televised live on ABC Sunday morning around 11.30. And a side story, Kurt Busch is going to look to become the fourth driver in history to compete in the Indy 500 and Coca-Cola 600 in the same day. He'll start in the 12th position at Indy on Sunday, and if he can complete both races, it will be a feat in its own. And should he win one or both of them, he'll probably go down as one of the all-time greats. That's going to do it for our show here this evening. On a personal note, I'd like to send a heavenly shout-out to my sister, who would have been 50 years old today. She died 27 years ago in a house fire. So I would like to send out my thoughts to not only my family, but also everyone else who knew her years ago. Patricia, we'll see you soon enough. Also want to thank our guests here this evening, Paul Ski from HashtagSports.com and Dan Favalli from BleacherReport.com talking to us this evening on the Buffalo situation and the Cleveland Cavaliers number one draft pick and their coaching situation. Don't forget Memorial Day is coming up on Monday. And, of course, remember our fallen and also our veterans who have made this world the place that it is today. We've also got our Ohio Baseball Weekly Show coming up Monday night at 9 p.m. Mark Donahue and I will be talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. Enjoy the first major holiday of 2014, Memorial Day weekend, coming up. That's going to do it for me. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night with another edition of the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock. Until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your night. We'll talk to you next week at 7 o'clock. I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.